0: I have a membership at the Every Day Fitness. My membership is like some folks' church membership. I get there right after Christmas and Easter. <laughs> but I don't dare let it lapse or I'd have to pay the initiation fee again. They have big mirrors, much bigger than this, down at the fitness place. And every once in a while... Horror of horrors, I get a glimpse of myself while I'm exercising, and I am immediately reminded of why I'm there, that I desperately need to exercise. Oh Lord, and I am definitely not one of those people going, "Oh, I'm one of those people going, "Oh." God calls his word a mirror. And it's exactly like that one. It's like that one at the fitness place. Because I don't know anybody at the fitness place that looks in that mirror and goes, perfect. Because if it was, they'd stop what they're doing. God wants us to look into the word and come away going, man, I got work to do. And one of the prime passages that ought to challenge all of us, the preacher included, is 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read it together from the screen, if you would, because I am just so, uh, I'm so burdened and excited for you to really know this passage. A few months ago, as I was going through 1 Corinthians 13, I just stopped and spent time to, to memorize this, and I don't have it down perfectly yet. But I want to challenge you to memorize it. And one of the paths to memory is verbally, out loud, saying something. So would you read it with me and just, just take a little pause at every punctuation point and we'll stay together. Here we go. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing." love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For now we part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, But then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Boy, just reading that, isn't that a look in the mirror? Wow. Before we actually consider 1 Corinthians 13 itself, we want to consider today some background information, if you will, or some of, the, some of the foundational material that prepares us to define love and to put it to work in our lives. And the first part of that is to define love as God defines it. There are three words in the, in the ancient Greek language that are translated love. Only two of them occur in the scripture. This first word does not occur in the scripture, but it's important for us to understand it because it's going to help us to find the other two. And I've chosen to call this first one physical love. The Greek word is eros. And I've summarized it as the love of desire. This is the Greek god, eros, or a replica of him. I don't know if anybody actually knows what he was supposed to look like, because he was out of Greek mythology. That was a whole system of stories to define certain beliefs and ideas in ancient Greece. And this guy was uh, the god of love, the son of Aphrodite. And certainly, Eros, uh, in this classical sense, is used for the love between a man and a woman. It's most often what we would think of as romantic love. Of course, the word eros comes into our language in the word erotic, which always refers to sexual attraction, but I believe the word is a little broader. The word eros and the use of it is a little broader than simply sexual attraction, but it does have to do with that kind of desire attraction. When a man loves a woman, you know. When a guy is in college and he looks across the classroom and he sees a good-looking girl, And there's attraction. And I'm for it. I'm for it. I looked across the band room and saw my wife and said, well, yeah. (laughs) But that's all it is, you see. it's, It's that love of attraction. It's not wrong, but it can be wrong if that's your whole definition of love. This love of attraction is not sinful in and of itself. However, the word never appears in the Bible. And that needs to teach us something about what kind of love is the most important. The second kind of love that is mentioned in the Bible is what I have called family love. It's from, the Greek word is philea or phileo in the verb form. And I've called it compassion. Compassion love. Um, Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. This word is most often translated brotherly love in the New Testament. And the idea of compassion is the idea that that we understand each other because we share our humanity. Um, When somebody in the family, you know, when a child gets sick and an adult has compassion because they understand sickness, they've been through it. God commends us and commands us to have brotherly love. But that's not the kind of love that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's good that we can... Uh, that we can care for others and we can understand their needs. But the kind of love that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, I've chosen to call it faithful love. You might be familiar with the Greek word. It's agape. That's the way that's pronounced. And the, 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 the central concept seems to be one of willful caring. You see, physical love cares because it feels good. Whoa, would you go out with me? You make me feel good. That's not bad, but if we limit our definition of love to that, we will only do something good for somebody when it benefits us. Compassionate love is that love of saying, oh, so-and-so is in the hospital. I need to go and encourage them. And they have a need, and, 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 and I feel for them because I've been there. But there may be other times when people have needs, and we look at them and go, well, they've been kind of mean to me. I don't feel any compassion, so I won't do anything. But this last kind of love is a kind of love where we make willful choices, If you noticed, as we read through 1 Corinthians 13, there's nothing that says love feels patient. Love feels this, love feels that. No, love is this. Love is this. Agape is one of the rarest words in the ancient Greek literature, but it's one of the most common in the New Testament. Unlike our English word love, it never refers to romantic or sexual love for which eros was used, nor does it refer to mere sentiment, a pleasant feeling about someone or something. It does not mean close friendship or brotherly love for which phileia was used, nor does it mean charity. Now the King James translates this word charity. Charity is this, charity is that. And in our English concept today, charity means when I do do some good deed for somebody, somebody needs some money, or I I give something, and that's certainly part of it, but the concept is much broader than that. I think what we're going to learn about love is well summarized here by John MacArthur in this sentence. Love is not a feeling, but a determined act of the will, which always results in determined acts of self giving a determined act of the will which results in determined acts of self-giving some of you may be sitting there and thinking that doesn't feel very warm and fuzzy sometimes love isn't warm and fuzzy sometimes it is we're going to learn how to go beyond that i met a man several years ago who called me up And wanted to come in, Uh, I'd never met him before, he wanted to come in for counseling, got my name from somebody, this was in another far away place, and uh, he came in and he said, well I got a problem, I'm in love with two women, and being the prophet that I am, I looked at him and I said, and you're married to one of them, aren't you? Yep. What I should have said to him was, you don't love either one of those women, You're in lust with your mistress and you like what your wife does for you. That's the real truth of it. And he was trying his best to figure out a way he could keep both women and still be godly. Do you understand how that kind of mentality fits into these words? And that's what we've got to get a hold of as a Christian. See, I would assume giving you the benefit of the doubt, that everybody here would go, oh, that's terrible. And yet it's really not much different than what we do sometimes when we say, well, I don't feel like being nice. It's the same thing. God says we've got to be driven by something higher than our feelings. This last kind of love is really defined By Jesus Christ Himself. 1 John 3 16, by this we know love. By this we understand love. This is how love is defined because He laid down His life for us. You want to know what it means to love somebody? That last phrase right there is it. Man, that is a high standard. And I don't stand here to pretend to say I do that just right all the time. Believe me. But that's the standard. That's the definition. He laid down his life for us. That's how we understand what love is. Agape love, that's the kind of love we're going to learn about as we go through this chapter in these next few weeks. So love is defined by God. Love is also commanded by God. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew 5, we're going to look at one of the commands there. We're also going to look at some other commands. But this Matthew 5 passage is a very important one. You should put in your notes if you're taking notes so you remember to meditate on it later on. But if we were to say, okay, God commands us to love, what are his commands? Here they are. Here are are some of the, the common ones, and some of these are repeated throughout the New Testament. First of all, Christians are commanded to love fellow believers. Would you, would you take a look around the room right now? Just look around. Do the, do the rubber neck. Do the looky-loo. <laughs> God says, first and foremost, you are supposed to love everybody in this room who calls themselves a believer in Jesus Christ. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That is a commandment directly from Jesus Christ himself. We are commanded to act in love. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. That's what we read a minute ago. Now look at this phrase. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Number two, Christians are commanded to love non-friends. friends Do you know what a non-friend is? Would you look at Matthew 5, 43? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your non-friends. Do you know why I use that term? Because if I asked you right now, how many of you have enemies? Not one person to raise their hand. Well, maybe one. Maybe somebody would be honest enough to say, yep, boy, there's a guy I hate. Because those of us who've been Christians for a while, we don't have enemies. Oh, we don't hate anybody. Well, do you have somebody that you don't like too much? You probably do. And I'm calling that a non-friend. It's somebody you wouldn't naturally show compassion to, you have no desire for. God says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And we'll look at this more, this passage more as we go along. But we are commanded to love our non-friends. Thirdly, Christians are commanded to love spiritual leaders. I I really discovered this verse as I searched on references to love. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Well, I love that verse. Let's go on. Um, Fourthly, Christians' husbands are commanded to love their wives. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now some folks have tried to make a little bit of hay out of the fact that there's not a specific command to wives to love their husbands as though wives naturally love their husbands, but husbands have to be told to love their wives. It's not true. Look at this. Christian wives are commanded to love their husbands. How do I know that? Because Titus 2.4 says that the older women in the church are supposed to teach the younger women to love their husbands. So that tells me it's not natural for them either that there's learning that has to go on in this area of loving. Fifthly, Christians are commanded to love everyone. You think God could have just put that one thing in there like this, for the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, when somebody pressed Jesus and said, who is my neighbor? That's when he gave that parable of the uh, Good Samaritan fellow came along and completely helped a person who was unknown to him and jesus basically said that man is your neighbor now would you look at that list for a minute is there anybody in your life who isn't covered by that list is there anybody who should be excluded is there anybody to whom god would say it's okay not to act in love toward this person. There isn't. Now, am I saying that that makes it easy? No, I'm not, but it's a starting point. You cannot read 1 Corinthians 13 without the conviction and the belief that says, this is what I must be doing toward all people. As hard as it is, as as challenging as it is, as long as it takes, I've got to do it. But the great news is this. Love is not only commanded, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible because the source of love is God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Love is not an innate quality of humankind. I'm not here to tell you today that you need to go home and sit down and go, okay, I'm going to love those people. I'm just going to work it up. No, absolutely not. That's really, that's, if I could say, if I could point out something that you might not have thought of, this is really the weakness with a lot of advice that's given by people that are very well-meaning and they give good advice like Dr. Phil. He says a lot of very good things that I would agree with. The problem is there's no power on the receiving end to implement it. If you're going to do the kind of love that's in 1 Corinthians 13, it can only happen because God is in you. This is supernatural stuff we're talking about. We're not talking about the kind of love that just wells up in your heart because the very people who most need love are the ones who are the most unlovely sometimes. God is the source of love. The means of love is our salvation. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The way that you are going to be empowered to love God is through salvation. When you accepted Christ as your savior, God implanted within you a new righteous nature. A nature with the ability to love as he loves. John MacArthur says this, we do not have to manufacture love. We only have to share the love we've been given. Now, not to take away too much from what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks, but the challenge is this. God has put love within us, and he even prompts us through the Holy Spirit to do that love. The problem is is that right at that point, a sacrifice is required. You have to choose many times whether you are going to self-protect, self uh, um, satisfy or whether you're going to sacrifice yourself lay down your life and go on to act the way God wants you to act but the good news is again you're not alone the power of love is the Holy Spirit the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love If the Holy Spirit is in you, if you are a born again person, then God is at work in you and it is possible for you to love. You're not on your own. The Holy Spirit is working in you, He's prompting you. The fourth thing we need to understand about this love being possible is this the possession of love or how we get it into our life is through practice. Did you all know that I'm a new grandfather? get used to this face you probably see it a few more times <laughs> benjamin harrison Nichols. there he is in all of his preacherly glory holding his arms out getting ready to do the will of god yes yes and there he is in the crib that i built and i told you a few weeks ago i was building the crib And how many of you thought it would never get done be honest yeah 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 now i had a good plan and i bought some good tools But you know why I was able to make that crib? Because I've been practicing woodworking for 30 years. Believe me, I have built some cruddy stuff. And if if you're a real woodworker, I'm glad you saw the picture not the actual crib because there are definitely some things that are not perfect by my standard. But I know for a fact that 10 or 20 years ago, I don't think I could have done it but I've been practicing and practicing and practicing. And frankly, every time you build one of these projects, you become an expert, and the next one will be even better for whoever gets that. (laughs) If there ever is another one. Um, But it takes practice. Nothing that you're really good at happens overnight. And God commends us to practice the virtues of Christianity in verses like this, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now he's not saying that you can get more saved or somehow you can get more of God into your life as in a bigger quantity of salvation or something like that. He's not saying that, but he's saying when you get saved, you have faith in Christ. Now there's something to add in your spiritual life, and that is these qualities. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. You can become a 1 Corinthians 13 person, but it won't happen without practice. I am not where I want to be in my ability to work with wood. I got a bunch of new tools now that I can practice with, but I want to be better. I want everything I make to be perfect, and so far it hasn't happened. Do you want to be more like Christ. I mean, honestly, just take a a minute and look in the mirror and say, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Because if you're saying that, growth isn't possible. You've gotta look in the mirror and say, you know what? More growth is needed, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to Him. Be the glory both now and forever. Grow. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my, and as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The old adage goes this way. God works your salvation in, you work it out. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. You're not alone in this working out of your salvation. God is there, but you have to give the effort that only you can give. Some years ago, I saw a fellow after I had been absent from him for a year. He had moved away to the other side of the state. And uh, when he was in our church, we spent a fair amount of time, he and I, talking about how he could love his wife better. And uh, he was an intimidating guy. I've very seldom been scared of men, but this guy just scared me. I mean, he would talk to me about his wife and how she pushed his buttons, and I was kind of going like this, and he kept going like that, and I thought, man, don't hit me, don't hit me. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I knew how his wife felt, I think. And he had some stuff he needed to change, and I was trying to... <laughs> how did, I, I should have just said, would you, would you watch yourself talk? And so we talked and we talked and we went to lunch and there was a lot of turmoil. And I didn't even remember saying this to him, but he told me a year later, he says, You know, you said something to me and you almost got decked. <laughs> well, I believed it. <laughs> I said, What was that? He said, I was telling you about how I love my wife and you said, Maybe you just need to love her more. He said, Boy, I. Uh he said, you know what, you were right. What I want to say to all of us, including myself, is this. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We are a friendly church. We are nice to each other, generally speaking. And indeed... You do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. There isn't a person sitting or standing in this room who doesn't need to love better. In our families, in our church family, at our job site, this is the watershed issue of Christianity because Jesus said this is the way people will know you are my disciples. This is the chief characteristic. As much as I love right doctrine, and I'll die to defend some of it, Jesus didn't say people will know you're my disciples if you have orthodoxy, right doctrine. He said they will know you are my disciples if you genuinely care for one another. In your bulletin there's a card that looks like this and there are more of them right by the cookies. I figure there's a good chance you might look there on your way out. I know there's only one in each bulletin, and not everybody takes a bulletin. So this is a, this is a scripture meditation encouragement card. All it has is a text of 1 Corinthians 13 from the, from the New King James. If you prefer a different translation, feel free to get your computer out, or if you don't have one, come down here, and I'll make you one from whatever translation that you prefer to use so that, so that it's what you're reading every day But the point here is, I want to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you to just stop and say, could I read that every day for the next six or seven weeks? Could I put that somewhere so that once a day I will get that out and read it? I mean, the word of God has got to get into us before the Christ-likeness can come out of us. And I want to challenge you to memorize this. Now, I know some of you right now are saying, I can't memorize anything. I disagree. And you know why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is in you. Some of you will not get it word perfect. I know that. Some of you will go and fire it off like a machine gun. You know what? As long as it is getting into you, it's doing its job. Would you take that? And say, okay, if I'm serious about looking in the mirror of God's word, I'm going to take this and I'm going to read it every day this week. And if you want to work on memorizing, just work on the first three verses. Because that's what I'm going to preach on next week. And just pray about it every day and say, God, show me my face. Show me my face. Let me see what I need to work on. Don't be thinking about the person next to you. Don't be thinking about the person down the row or the person standing up here. Think about yourself. Say, oh God, help me to act on what I've seen. Heavenly Father, you know the ways that we have been practicing love and you know the ways we have not been. Show us what we really look like in the mirror of your word today and this week as we continue to meditate on your word day by day. Father, cause us to honor you more as we love better. I pray in Christ's name, amen.